and welcome to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. Today we have a double delight of two Nigerian authors. Both are brand new books with quite different themes waiting for you to enjoy. First up, Anike Isong, a writer originally from the Niger Delta who makes his home in London. Radio Sunrise, out in January 2017 with Jacaranda Books, is a hilarious yet sobering satirical portrait that takes place in Lagos. It's based loosely on Isong's experiences as a journalist, but I'll let him tell you about it. I started my career as, as a radio journalist over 10 years ago in Lagos. So I was really fascinated by all the things I saw happening within the radio station and outside of the radio station. Lagos is a really thriving city. Interesting things happen every day in Lagos. So it just occurred to me that I could actually document some of these funny things that happen on the streets of Lagos and turn it into a novel, which is what I did. But it's not necessarily it's not a true life story. Obviously, it's fiction. But I borrowed a lot from my experience working as a journalist in, you know, vibrant and metropolitan city like Lagos. In your own words, what would you tell our listeners across Africa what the book's about? The book is about family relationships. It's about culture. It's also about the profession of um, journalism. You know, how do journalists, especially broadcast journalists in present-day Nigeria, cope with so many things happening? And then, most importantly, it's also about the Niger Delta crisis. At the time I wrote this novel, the crisis was actually, um, it was almost being solved. And then suddenly, since last year or early this year, we've had a lot of things happening again in the Niger Delta. So it's all about those things. I want to say it's humorous, but it's, it's very satirical, the way you see the journalist community, specifically this radio station, Radio Sunrise. I studied media and comms. That was way back in Nigeria for my first degree. And I remember when I had the concept brown envelope, and I just laughed over it. But then I left uni, and I started my career as a broadcast journalist, and I came face-to-face with brown envelope, which is really the concept of whereby journalists get some sort of gratification from people that, for instance, if there is a press conference today and a journalist goes there, he's not really interested so much in that story, but the money that will be given to him to be able to publish that story. It's something that, at the moment, I mean, there's a divided opinion in this. I see have friends who are journalists who tell me that they have to collect it because why should they write a story, especially for a commercial organization, without collecting the brown envelope, which varies in Nigeria. It could be not a lot of money. It could be a lot of money. It all depends on the company. But in a way, this by collecting this so-called brown envelope, it doesn't mean that the journalist is going to still write that story or write it in good light. It's still subjected to some sort of editorial process. But it's just the fact that that is being requested by the journalist or the media house. That is something that has really been ongoing in the Nigerian media. And it's been talked about in, in several platforms and events. But I think I decided to use humor and, and satire to bring this into life in my novel. I'm not sure if um, other novels from Africa have tackled this issue before, but I just, um, it just occurred to me that it's something I could do and let people see and, make, and judge for themselves after reading the book if it's a good thing or a bad thing. This is a perspective of a Nigerian man. And yeah. there's two things that are in 
if not on every page, definitely in every chapter, and that is food and women. Yeah. <laughs> they're in, they're both in there. So um, your main character likes spicy soup. We know that yeah. um, because yeah. he he's looking for it constantly in the book, um, but also has a roving eye. I grew up in the midst of women. I've got some two really, really wonderful sisters, you know, and I adore my mum and my wife. And I observe, and I have lots of friends who are females, and I observe and my surroundings, especially when I'm in Lagos. But I'm not in any way trying to look down on women or anything. It's just to bring out those funny sides of life that, you know, some people may just not pay much attention to. Um, you talked about food. Food is a huge thing in uh, where I come from in the United Delta. A lot of women are expected to know how to cook very well. This is cultural. And as well as some other things that I, a woman from that side of the world is, is expected to know. So I just sort of bringing all this together in a very, you know, um, satirical way in and tell this story without necessarily looking down on the female gender. Up next, another Nigerian gem in the form of a memoir, O.K. Ndibe's Never Look an American in the Eye, Flying Turtles, Colonial Ghosts, and the Making of a Nigerian American. We caught up with Ndibe in Nigeria. Be sure to listen for his humorous tale of rice and how the Nobel laureate Wale Soinka saved his Christmas. I found that some of my experiences are particularly important, poignant, or some of the cultural areas of cultural incomprehension between me and my American hosts, and also just the sheer drama that I had to undergo before I could settle well in America. And in a lot of ways, that drama continues uh, uh, even more than 27 years later. One of my favorite chapters was Wale Soinka Saves My Christmas. And you speak about the importance of rice and how it was so important to you, especially on that day. Yes. In Nigeria, when I was growing up, rice was central, a major treat for, for me and for a lot of youngsters of my generation. We looked forward to Sunday because that was the day that rice was cooked in the house. And then we looked particularly with great excitement to feasts like Christmas and Easter because then everybody would cook rice. One was growing up not particularly privileged, you know, in a, in a situation where we didn't have enough food to eat. So rice was central to one's childhood dreams. And so I went to America, and one Christmas, our American friends invited us to spend the entire Christmas with them. And, and I took it for granted that if it was Christmas, there would be rice and there would be chicken. And we had all kinds of different cuisine, but there wasn't rice on the menu. And I was so traumatized that I said to my wife that this would be the best Christmas in my sentient life when I haven't had to eat rice. So I said, we have to leave our hosts. We'll get home, and I said, I'm going to boil some rice. Well, we came home. As the rice was warming up, I began to listen to our messages. Wale Shurinkal's voice came on. I had sent him the manuscript of my second novel, Pouring God's Ink. He called me to wish my family and me a Merry Christmas. And then he said that he'd just finished reading that manuscript and that he found it highly evocative. So I went and turned up the stove, and when my wife found out that I wasn't boiling the rice after all, she said, 
I thought you said you wanted to eat rice. Well, showing that message is better than rice. If our listeners out there have not read A Foreign God's Ink, they're in for another treat as well. It's really a mixture of a Nigerian in the United States and the ancient practices, how they haunt him, and it's so well done. So, um, Thank you very much. Part of the inspiration for doing the, the memoir was that as I traveled in the U.S. and around the world promoting Foreign God's Ink, my second novel, which features an African immigrant in New York City who decides to return to his home community and to steal the statue of what used to be the god of war for his people. As I promoted my book, numerous readers would uh, ask me in bookstores whether my story was autobiographical. In other words, if I had stolen the statue of a deity. And I said to them that I wasn't in the business of stealing God. So I said, perhaps I should go ahead and write my own story. The relationship that you have uh, with your father and, and how you revisit that before he passes on. When you discuss this and about this very interesting but intimate friendship that he had with, with a British man back in Burma that's still carried today. Yeah, it was, really, it was a very formative experience for me. Growing up, I had very few privileges. And I grew up in a world where Britain was central to our imagination. And Britain represented the zenith of learning and of power. And so uh, I really uh, deeply wished that uh, I was able to go to Britain, as some of my classmates did uh, on vacation. But my parents, of course, did not have the means to enable me to do so. But then my father had an English friend who wrote to him at regular intervals. So I would sneak out with and read those letters, and it gave me hope. And it gave me a sense that I was also important because my father had an Englishman as a friend. So years later, I was, I was able to ask my father about that intriguing friendship. And he told me that it actually started out as a verbal war in Burma and that the Englishman and he then became friends. And they corresponded for nearly 50 years until my father's death in 1995. That's it for this month's Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. Thanks so much for listening. It's been almost a year since we started this program, so stay tuned next month for some exciting news. Bye. (laughs) 